It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Good morning, my friends. How are you today on this uh, mid to late January Sunday here on the Jersey Shore? Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, tax accountant, and your money doctor each and every Sunday live right here on 92.7 WOBM, 7 to 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Anytime at the podcast at the financial physician, uh, dot com. Thanks so much for joining today. If you're listening live and you want to be part of the program, 237-962-6732-237-9626 is the call number. How you doing today, Paul? Doing good, Lou. I was hoping to come into this morning hungover with three hours sleep. Uh, just trying to get through the show. And why do I say that? Because I was hoping that the Giants were going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles last night, and I'd be up till 1 o'clock, and I'd be uh, unable to fall asleep. And I was actually dreading the fact that the Giants had to play 8.15 on Saturday night. And of all time slots, you know, it couldn't be like 4.30, you know, in the afternoon. Um, But anyway, it was a blowout. The Giants weren't even in the game. Uh, I was in bed before the half was over. <laughs> I can't imagine. I really just can't imagine. I'm a big giant fan, um, huge, uh, and, and I can't, I can't imagine myself going to bed before the half is over on a divisional playoff game. We haven't been in the playoffs in like you know seven years and haven't won a playoff game. We did last week. That was our first one since 2011. You would think that. Uh, I would be up, but it was like something like twenty-seven nothing or something, twenty-four nothing. It was horrible, um, uh, really let down. But hey, the Giants had a great year. If you would have told me in the beginning of the year that they would win as many games as they did, uh, they'd go to the playoffs, they'd win the wild card game, and go to uh, the division uh, playoffs. Uh, I would have took that in a minute. So it was a great year for the Giants. More importantly, they um, they set up. Uh, uh, for a, for a great future, I think they have a great coaching staff. They got a great nucleus. Uh, I was pleased to see the improvement of the quarterback. Great to see uh, Saquon Barkley back to, uh, to his old self. So, uh, a lot of optimism going into next year. So, good year for the Giants, but uh, disappointing, disappointing for Giant fans uh, here in New Jersey. All right, let's start off the program <coughs> talking about banks again. You know, last week I did a an opening segment on the FDIC. Uh, and whether or not your money is safe in the bank. Now, that caused quite a ruckus. Uh, A lot of people got excited about that. Uh, A lot of input, a lot of emails, a lot of people concerned, uh, and I felt that I need to dig deeper into this and and not drop it after one show. It's that important, Uh, and it's got people spooked, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, You know, the FDIC is, 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 is an insurance insurance company is really what it is. It's uh, funded by the banks, and uh, it's supposed to bail out banks that fail. And it works. 
it's worked in the past, uh, assuming that big banks don't fail. Community banks fails, ah, that's fine. But the big banks, that's the problem because the FDIC insurance fund is $125 billion and there's $9 trillion in insured deposits. Well, if you do the math, it's 1.3%, something like that. That's how much insurance funds they have. Uh, so it couldn't even it couldn't even insure ten percent of Bank of America's deposits if Bank of America to, was to go under. And believe me, if Bank of America uh, is insolvent, uh, so is so is Citigroup, so is Wells Fargo, so is every single big bank on Wall Street because they're all tied together. The entire world banking system is tied together. They're so interconnected. Uh, and that's a problem because if one domino falls, it could be it could be Credit Suisse in Switzerland. If that failed, you're going to start seeing failures all over Europe, England. Then it'll jump across the pond to us because all the derivatives that have been mixed in with all these banks. So no bank is on an island by itself. And what happens to one bank happens to all of them. So, you know, forget one... Uh, 10% of, actually, yeah, 10% of um, uh, uh, Bank of America's deposits, well, add to that, you know, Citigroup's deposits, Wells Fargo's deposits, PNC's, you know, you get it. So what would happen under that scenario? Well, one or two things would happen. You need to be bailed in, and we're going to talk about the difference between a bailout and a bail-in. Bailing means you you basically lose your money. Uh, a bailout would mean that the U.S. government or the Federal Reserve would provide $10 trillion to bail out the banking system. You'll get your money back, but it'll be worthless. So either way, you're in hot water if the banking system fails. So I played last week for you a committee... Um, they met in either November or December of, of 2022. So this is recent. And uh, the um, the FDIC had a committee meeting. And they're talking about crashing of the markets, which in turn would be the banking system as well, uh, and, and, and how they would deal with the PR of this, number one, uh, that they'd want to keep it as quiet as possible, the potential of this happening, because it'll scare the public. Uh, and it may cause a bank run. Now, when I saw this this video of this meeting, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned by what they were talking about. And I didn't hear it very many places, certainly not on the mainstream media. You won't hear it there. But I didn't even hear it in some of the websites that I follow that are alternative media until this week. I mean, we reported it to you last Sunday. We were ahead of the curve because now this past week, it's popping up all over the place. Uh, but you guys heard it first here. Uh, but uh, it is um, it is really starting to catch fire, and it's causing a lot of concern uh, with the pauses around the country. Now, I'm going to play these segments again for you because it is that important. It is that damning. Uh, and this comes right from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation's mouth, you know, in their meeting. Now, listen to what they say. And, 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 and. 
notice what they talk about when they talk about confidence that the public has in the banking system. All right, which one do I want to do first? Oh, let's do this one. Okay. It should be accessible when people need to know, but I don't think you have much hope of, of reaching a public that doesn't have a professional need to know. I, I, I completely agree with that. I almost think you scare the public. If you put this out, like, why are they telling me this? Should I be concerned about my bank? Like, my insurance company doesn't tell me what they're doing with my assets. They just assume they're going to pay my claim. Right? I think you've got to think of the unintended consequences of taking a public that has more full faith and confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do, (laughs) that... We want them to have full faith and confidence in the banking system. They know the FDIC insurance is there. They know it works. They put their money in. They get their money out. So there, there's a select crowd of people that are in the institutional side. And if they want to understand this, they're going to find a way to understand this. There's a bunch of law firms represented in this room. There's a bunch of people who charge them by the hour a lot of money to explain this all to them. And, and, and it's fine. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with that. And they all have huge staffs. But I would be careful about the unintended consequences of starting to blast too much of this out in the general public. All right, so what they're saying here, basically, and and, and the most telling thing there is that the public has more confidence in the banking system than those of us in this room. Now think about that. The FDIC, the the group that's in charge of insuring your bank accounts, are telling you that they don't have confidence in the banking system. It's not Lou Scatigna telling you on it on his Sunday radio show here on the Jersey Shore. This is the FDIC itself telling you this. And you hear him chuckle after that? And they're saying, we can't let the public know what we know, which they don't really espouse on. I didn't see what they're talking about prior to that. But obviously, they're talking about market crashes and uh, and, and the banking system um, uh, collapsing. Now, if you listen again, you, you, you hear them say that, well, you know, institutional investors, meaning big hedge funds and pensions and stuff, they have professionals that, that scour this data and... Uh, and they're going to know about it, uh, and they're going to take proper action, but we can't let the public know. You can't know. Other institutions could run on the bank and take out billions of dollars, but you can't take out your 100000 They don't want you to know about that. Now, I'm going to play you the second part of this uh, um, interview where they talk about bail-ins. So let me explain the difference between bailouts and, and bail-ins. All right, a bailout is when the government, like in 2008 financial crisis that we had, there was a bailout. Remember the 700 billion TARP? Uh, who was it? Uh, it was the chairman of the Treasury. Uh, what's his name, Paul, at the time? He was the Goldman CEO, and then he became Treasury Secretary. I'll forget. I forgot his name. I'll remember about it. But he, he goes to... So, so th- just remember this. This is the the past CEO of Goldman Sachs, who now becomes Treasury Secretary. It's a big revolving door between Wall Street and government. You know, I mean, Yellen was uh, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman. Now she's the the Treasury Secretary. You know, it's it's very incestuous uh, banking and government. Uh, but he comes out and he um, 
he goes to Congress and he says, you have to bail out this banking system uh, or we're going to have uh, civil unrest and all kinds of collapse. We're going to need martial law and the whole thing. Now, initially, Congress was against this, but they were convinced that there was no other choice. So $700 billion, three quarters of a trillion dollars uh, of taxpayer money was used to bail out the banking system. The banking system was on the verge of collapse. Everybody was going to lose everything. Forget the FDIC. Again, it's worthless under a systemic banking collapse. Uh, and, um, and Paulson, that's his name, Paulson. Uh, he was, uh, and by the way, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs was owed $16 billion from AIG that went bankrupt because of derivative bets. So obviously, uh, he, Paulson had a, an interest, <laughs> uh, in having the government bail out the banking system uh, because I'm sure he had a financial benefit, uh, in his stock in Goldman Sachs and everything else. Uh, uh, so he goes there and he does that. And who knows how much money the Federal Reserve provided. It's rumored they provided something like $15 trillion to the world banking system. Not only American banks, but European banks and everything else. A lot of what the Federal Reserve does is secret. You don't see it. It's off balance sheet. You know the biggest buyer of U.S. Treasuries is? It comes out of the Cayman Islands. Right? The Cayman Islands is the biggest buyer of U.S. Treasuries. And uh, many people speculate that this is the Federal Reserve that have off-balance sheet transactions, basically secret accounts that we don't know how much trillions of dollars are in there. Uh, but that's a that's a bailout. A bail-in is the opposite. The government provides no money, and uh, basically you get a haircut on your money. You have a hundred thousand in that account. Uh, they take thirty percent of it, fifty percent of it, or a hundred percent of it. There's precedents for this. If you remember, years a few years back in Cyprus, they had a banking crisis. Depositors lost something like 30% of their assets. So let's listen to the FDIC. When they talk about bail-in, and uh, do people realize that this can happen to them? important that people understand they can be bailed in, but you don't want a huge run on the institution. But, they have, I mean, they're going to be. That's... And and it could be an early warning signal to the FDIC and the primary regulators when these things happen. And there may be some other prices, this is uh, similar to what Jay was saying, in the market that you can tell whether people understand how the who's going to be protected, who isn't going to be protected. It would be, an, I think, an interesting study to look at the evolution of market prices in a situation like March of 2020, for example, and see whether people understood what might happen. So what might happen? Ballot. Okay, that's it. You know it would be interesting if some of my listeners here recorded that those two clips and went to their bank and asked for the branch manager and asked their opinion of that plaque on the wall, FDIC, and say, well, this is what they're saying on tape last month. What do you think about that? Now, I got to be careful here. Um, I am not telling people, be clear, to go run and take all your money out of the bank. I'm just telling you that I wouldn't have my life savings in the bank. So you take with that what you will. And I don't have my life savings in the bank. The problem is, 
how do you get your money out of the banking system? It's pretty hard, isn't it? What are you going to do? Bring it to another bank? Especially if you got sizable amounts of money. You got uh, 200000 in a bank. Oh, by the way, uh, there's actually $18 trillion in U.S. banks. But only $9 trillion is insured. Well, why would that be, Lou? Because a lot of people have money over and above the 250000 Some people have millions of dollars in their accounts. So that's not considered insured money. Not that the rest of the money is insured either, because like I said, if these big banks go under, so does the FDIC. And it's a bailing scenario. I have two reports here. Uh, I, and I've carried this report around with me in my uh, radio show bag of tricks. Um, and it's uh, a report issued December 10th, 2012. Uh, issued by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in the Bank of England about how they'd handle international too-big-to-fail banks. And I've mentioned it on here before. And in it, it says the unsecured debt holders can expect that their claims would be written down to reflect any losses that shareholders cannot cover, with some converted partly into equity in order to provide sufficient capital to return the sound businesses of the bank um and so forth and so on. All right. I have another report that was written here by the International Mafia Fund, uh, International Monetary Fund. Uh, staff discussion notes, April 24th, 2012, same year. And the title is From Bailout to Bail In Mandatory Debt Restructuring of Systemic Financial Institutions. Uh, there's that word, bail in again, uh, where it's not a bailout. Now, you can get this report yourself. If you go to the International Monetary Fund, uh, do, go, do, a, do go, a Google search. From bailout to bail-in, mandatory debt restructuring of systemic financial institutions. Uh, the link will come up. You can print that out and read it yourself. Um, the other report is Resolving Globally Active Systemically Important Financial Institutions, a joint paper by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the Bank of England. It's right there. I mean, it's, it's right there. Now you have the... Um, FDIC coming right out and telling you what's going to happen. Now, I've been saying this for a couple of years that I would not have, not that you shouldn't, I would not have my life savings, nor do I, uh, in a bank. I have it in U.S. Treasury money market funds. That's outside the banking system. It's treasury bills. Uh, uh, banks could fail all around me and my money would be fine. Uh Right now, U.S. Treasury money markets are paying 3.5%. That's going to go up probably three and three quarters or four after the Fed raises interest rates next week or February 1st. Um, that's a good alternative. Another alternative, gold and silver coins, the real money, not the paper money. Who is it? J.P. Morgan that said gold is money. Everything else is credit. And if you go back in history and you look at um, paper currency, well, you know, for thousands of years, there was no paper currency. It was, it was only gold and silver coins. You had a little bag you carried. It was tied to your belt and, you know, you had your money bag, right? Remember the old term, money bags? That was you used to call somebody that, that was rich. Money, hey, money, hey, money bags. You pick up the check. Well, that's where that term comes from, money bags. You had your money bag. With your coins in it, silver coins, gold coins, and you went to the store and you used that to transact business. Now, that was kind of cumbersome. 
and easy to steal and whatnot. So what was developed was banknotes or gold certificates. So instead of carrying around the gold, you would carry around a note that represented $10 worth of gold. And that note can be redeemed at any time at any bank for that amount of gold. So therefore, the, 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 the bill that you carried represented gold ownership, and that's called sound money. And then we got off the gold standard in 1971. Nixon took, uh, took us off. And the problem was with the gold standard, you couldn't deficit spend. You had to be disciplined in your, your financial management of your country. And of course, you know, politicians don't want that because they want to give you more and more stuff to get reelected. So uh, they wanted to get us off the gold standard. And they did. And look what's happened to our deficits. Look what's happened to our national debt since then. Fifty years later, we're at thirty-one trillion. Let's go back in history and take a look uh, at the Banking Act of nineteen thirty-three. It was also known as the Glass-Steagall Act, and what it did is it separated commercial banking from investment banking, <clears throat> and it also created the FDIC, the Banking Act of nineteen thirty-three, among other things. And it was one of the most widely debated uh, legislative initiatives uh, that was talked about that year before being signed uh, into law by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in June 1933. So what it did, essentially what happened is there was many bank failures. You know, we had the crash in, in 29. We had uh, an early uh, early 30s just prior, you know, when this was being um, created, this act. We had bank failures around the country. Something like 3,000 banks failed. There was no insurance at the time. People lost everything. And we went into the Depression. But prior to that, in 1907, there was a bank panic and a market panic. So, you know, banks failed regularly because they weren't regulated very well. Uh, Banks were able to take your deposits and uh, speculate in the market with it. So the Glass-Steagall, and that's what caused all these banks to have problems. They were taking your money and put it in the stock market. So the Glass-Steagall Act separated the investment banks where they can invest money and speculate to the depositor banks, which had to be separate, and those funds could only be used for loans and things like that. That way, if the markets crashed, you know, the investment bank would go down, but the depositor bank would be separate. And in 1999, that was overturned. After years of that happening, uh, the banking cartel and lobbyists uh, uh, were successful in uh, getting the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act um, of 1999, which repealed the provisions of the Banking Act of 1933 that restricted affiliations between banks and securities firms. So they say, you know what? Nah, you can go do that again. Well, what happened eight years later? The big crisis and the banking system failure as the markets crashed, uh, mortgages crashed and all that. It didn't take very long after repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act for the banking system to be teetering on failure. But another uh, important provision of the act, uh, the FDIC was created, which ensures bank deposits with a pool of money collected from the banks. Now, this was pretty controversial at the time, and even uh, FDR was threatening to veto it because of that. 
And the real, real reason they wanted to do that is because of small rural banks, which would fail all the time. And they wanted to give some protection to people and also put a little bit of regulation on some of these banks. Well, how much was the original insurance amount in 1934, January of 1934? Your, your insured deposits were 2500 <laughs> I guess 2500 was a lot of money in 1934 uh, based on the inflation that we've had. Uh, now it's 250000 So it's a um, hundred times more. Uh, the fund became permanent in July 1934, and the limit was raised to 5000 And, of course, it was raised numerous times over the years until reaching the current 250000 So uh, that's the FDIC. That's how it came about. Also, there was a Regulation Q that came out of this act, which uh, mandated that you couldn't pay interest on checking accounts. Why did they want to do that? Because they didn't want to have excessive competition among banks uh, to get deposits. You know, I'm going to pay you six, seven, eight percent on your on your checking. Uh, meanwhile, the bank would have to invest that money pretty aggressively to get their money back and be able to provide you with that interest. Uh, so there was concerns there that yeah, just uh, all this competition among banks, they're going to try to top each other and pay you too much interest uh, and not be able to earn it. That prohib- uh, prohibition uh, on interest-bearing uh, checking accounts was repealed with the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act of 2010. So beginning in July 21st, 2011, financial institutions became allowed but not required to offer interest on checking accounts. So they basically repealed all the things that were there to protect you, the depositor, uh, to the advantage of the banks. Also, uh, what the regulators did is, is they, they, they demanded that banks have reserves on hand. What are bank reserves? Um, these are cash minimums that banks must have on hand uh, in order to deal with people withdrawing money. Now, this is real paper money that must be kept in the bank in a vault or it's held at the central bank at the Federal Reserve. will hold sometimes cash reserves. And again, they're intended to ensure that every bank can meet any large or unexpected demand for withdrawals because when you put your money in the bank, it's not segregated in some little account that's yours. It's lent out. Sometimes it's lent out 10 times. So the money's not there. So there has to be some cash put aside that people will come in and say, hey, I want $100,000. I want to take it out. Either to put it in another bank or to put it in a mutual fund or to put it under my mattress. So how much was this, this, this requirement? Well, for the longest time, it was 10%. The Federal Reserve is the one who sets this uh, amount, and it was 10%. So if you had $100 million in deposits, you had to have $10 million cash on hand. Therefore, if a significant amount of people wanted their money, you had it. It wasn't lent out in somebody's car or somebody's house or in some derivative contract somewhere, which it is now. Again, the the Glass-Steagall Act 
1933. It kept the bank separate. The bank could not speculate with your money. The largest speculation they can do is lend it out in a mortgage or a commercial loan or something like that. Traditional banking, not speculation in the market, not speculation in derivatives. And it worked really well until it was overturned with another act in 1999. And then only eight years later, the banking system was teetering on collapse because of the speculation using deposits. So what happened uh, during COVID? Well, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, lowered the reserve requirements of banks to zero. In other words, they don't have to have any money to give you if you want to take it out. So banks essentially do not have any cash. Very minimal amount. Now, a bank could decide to have 10% or 5% or 3%, but they're not mandated to have it by the central bank or the regulators. So what happens if there is a run on a bank and the bank has very little cash? You have a big problem. Now, another thing, too, is, you know, we have this rampant inflation. Uh, that was caused by the central bank, the Federal Reserve, printing trillions of dollars over the last three years. I don't know, I think $5 trillion, whatever it was. And this is this paid for all the stimmy checks and all that stuff. And, of course, the money supply expanded, and you had inflation. I mean, it's A plus B equals C, 1 plus 1 equals 2. This is economic algebra. I like that. I just coined a new term. Economic algebra. It always happens that way. Nobody's going to be immune to the economic laws of nature. So now the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, thinking that that's going to quell the inflationary spike that we have. That's the wrong way to do it. First of all, the Federal Reserve can't raise interest rates enough to really quell inflation. Because inflation is a result of the money supply growth. Just raising interest rates does nothing to the money supply. If they wanted to quell inflation, they could do it very easily. Just up the bank reserve requirement from zero to 10 or 15%. You do that, the money's going to come out of the system. Inflation will be, uh, be gone. But the Federal Reserve doesn't want to do it that way. So at the end of the day, inflation is going to win. Very simple. Deal with the money supply, not interest rates. I don't care how high you put interest rates or even how much you tighten the money supply. That's not going to make an ear of corn grow in a drought area of the United States uh, it's not going to prevent uh, the Ukrainian-Russian war from continuing. It's not going to have uh, effect on uh, uh, bird flu that's killing off millions, hundreds of millions of, of birds, egg-laying birds around the country and the world, and making your, your price of eggs $6, $8 a dozen. That's not going to be affected by monetary policy. And the problem with, with raising interest rates, all it does is put pain on the people that are experiencing the inflation that won't go away. 
It's tough enough to deal with inflation when you have a job, let alone um, not having a job. And that's another thing I could spend an hour talking about, how the central bank created the problem of inflation, and now they want you to pay the price to fix it by losing your job, paying incredible interest rates on credit cards, mortgages, car loans, not to mention the burden it's putting on the federal debt service. I mean, everything that the Federal Reserve is doing now uh, is counterintuitive to the success of the nation. This is not 1980 when Paul Volcker was able to raise interest rates to 17%. We had we had less than a trillion dollars in debt at that point. We have $31 trillion now. Not to mention consumer debt, corporate debt, municipal debt. We live in a world of debt. We live in a debt-based economy right now. Raising interest rates in a debt-based economy is suicide. And, and we're at four or four and a quarter percent, wherever it is on a Fed funds rate. Uh, and look what it did to the markets last year. Look how it's affecting the housing market. It's just the beginning because there's a delay. Six to 12-month delay on all these interest rate increases. The pain isn't even started yet. You're going to see it later in the year. And the question is going to be, is that going to be enough to uh, make the Federal Reserve do an about phase? But there's, there's, no, there's no bank reserves right now. So if we have a full-blown panic uh, in the system, th- there's no money. Uh, so before the the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933, the old banking system um, was kind of like the wild, wild west. And now with the repeal of Glass-Steagall, uh, it's returning to the wild, wild west again. And there's zero bank reserves at this point. And, uh, and I periodically tell you, I said last week, that, you know, just... Just J.P. Morgan Chase has $54 trillion in deliver- derivative bets. Now, realize that how do you get $54 trillion? You don't even have a trillion in deposits. So how do you leverage that 50 times? And what if those bets go against any bank? And it's uh, it's the five largest banks. Let's just look at them. J.P. Morgan Chase, oh, I'm sorry, it was $57 trillion. What's a trillion here or there? It doesn't really matter at this point, does it? Uh, Goldman Sachs Bank, uh, $50 trillion. Citibank, $46 trillion. Bank of America, $22 trillion. And Wells Fargo, uh, $11.5 trillion. So you're talking, uh, what, $250 trillion? that the five largest banks in this country have in investment bets with each other. With your deposits, by the way, it's not their money, it's your money. And what happens when we have a financial accident? A la uh, 2007, 2008, 1987. That's how dangerous it is. And there certainly is a danger of a bank run. What is a bank run? It, it occurs when a large number of the depositors of a bank or other financial institution uh, withdraw their funds simultaneously over concerns of the bank's solvency. 
you know, the term comes from the, the, the fact that back in the day, people actually ran to the bank. When they heard the news was the rumors were going around that the bank was in trouble, people would run to the bank and want their money. A great example is that is It's a Wonderful Life, that movie. That's exactly what a bank run is. And again, the bank has no very little reserves, even if they had 10% reserves and 20% of the people wanted their money out. That's a problem. And when bank um, reserves are not enough uh, to cover withdrawals, the bank is insolvent. And it's usually a result of a panic. Now, there's something called a silent bank run. What's a silent bank run? Well, now we have electronic banking. Well, you could just wire transfer money from one bank to the other or it's one financial institution to the other. So say I, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I just heard Lou's radio show last two weeks and heard what the FDIC is saying about bail-ins and uh, we can't panic the public and what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not so so comfortable with my half a million dollars in Bank of America. Now, I'm not singling out any one bank. I'm just using one of the top five banks because um, it doesn't really matter which one we're talking about. They're all the same. And you know what? I want to I want to transfer the uh, half million dollars to uh, uh, the Vanguard U.S. Treasury Money Market Fund, or the Fidelity U.S. Treasury Money Market Fund, or I want to wire it to a gold dealer and take my money and, and uh, make gold, co- you know, buy gold coins with it. I don't want paper fake money anymore. I don't want fiat currency. Uh, give me real money. Give me God's money. Give me specie. Ever hear that term before? Specie. Specie is another word for bullion. Uh, it's an educational program. We tried. We tried to do our best to specie. S p e c i e. I believe it's spelled specie. Another name for real money. Another name for sound assets. Um, it's another name for gold and silver bullion. It's called specie. So uh, a silent bank run, and, and we saw this in the 08 financial crisis. We saw it in money market funds, prime money market funds. Big institutional investors fearful that money market funds – now, I'm not talking about treasury money market funds. I'm talking about prime money market funds that have corporate commercial paper in it, short-term loans from corporations, CDs, things like that in it. That's, you know, there's two different types of money market mutual funds. There's one – the common one is called a prime fund. It is composed of three things. CDs, treasuries, and commercial corporate paper. Commercial paper is short-term bonds, short-term loans to corporations that mature in 120 days or less. And it's the glue, it's, 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 the, it's the grease that keeps the financial system running. It's how big corporations make payroll when they need short-term cash. It's kind of like a corporate credit line, and it's trillions of dollars in it. Well, back in 2007, during the crash, uh, we had uh, 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 the biggest prime fund, money market fund, lose three cents. You know, a money market's usually a dollar a share and never changes. Never breaks the buck, the term on Wall Street. Well, the prime fund, one of the biggest ones, broke a buck. It went to 97 cents. Why? Because 3% of their portfolio was was Lehman commercial paper. It was short-term loans to Lehman Brothers that were rated AAA the night before and were bankrupt and defaulted the next morning. So if you had Lehman commercial paper in your money market fund, uh, you broke the buck unless you ate it yourself. 
for confidence purposes. So once the prime fund broke a buck, big institutional investors, uh, pensions and insurance companies and so forth, started requesting wire transfers out. And that was causing a cascading liquidity problem. And then the FDIC, if you recall, came out and guaranteed money market funds and stopped the bleed. It was a bank run. It was a silent bank run on the money market fund. Uh, so now you have to worry about electronic bank run. You know, you're not going to run in there, uh, most likely. You're not going to run into your big bank and say, you know, uh, give me $300,000 in hundreds. That's not going to happen. But you, like, like I said before, you may say, wire that money to Vanguard, uh, to my uh, Treasury money market fund. Now, the other type of money market fund is Treasury money market funds. This is the ones I use for myself and my clients when we're, we want to protect cash. And that's, um, uh, uh, we, uh, we use um, the Fidelity money market, U.S. Treasury money market fund. And all it has in there is short-term Treasury bills. No commercial paper, no CDs. It's the safest place your money can be, certainly in a crisis. Um, and there's a big difference. I would not want a straight money market mutual fund. I'd want a U.S. Treasury money market fund. So, you know, if you, you, you know, you call up your bank tomorrow or you go in there and you say, look, uh, wire 500000 to my Vanguard account, uh, that's a run on the bank. It's no different than saying, give me a cashier's check. I'm going to go out there and go put it in another financial institution. Uh, uh, it's the same thing. It's no different than going in there and saying, you know, give me 50000 cash. The bottom line is that money is coming out of that bank, and it's been levered at least 10 times. Uh, and now there is no regulation by the FDIC or the Federal Reserve um, uh, to keep a 10% uh, reserve fund. Now, recently, there's been some notable bank runs. In the 2008-2009 financial crisis, uh, on September 25th, 2008, Washington Mutual, you remember that name, Washington Mutual? Well, it's no longer around. It was the sixth largest American financial institution at the time. It was shut down by the U.S. Office of Thrift Supervision. Over the ensuing days, deposits had withdrawn more than $16.7 billion in deposits causing the bank to run out of short-term cash reserves. The very next day, Wachovia Bank was also shuttered for similar reasons. Remember Wachovia? That's gone, too. Uh, deposits withdrew $15 billion over a two-week period after Wachovia reported negative earnings results early in the quarter. Much of the withdrawals at Wachovia were concentrated among commercial accounts with balances above 100000 limit insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So we've had it, you know, we've had it here. Um, and banks pray that people won't know that there's a problem. And is uh, bank runs possible today? Absolutely. Especially the silent bank runs that you don't see. You know, it's easy to panic when you see a line around the block outside your branch where people are trying to get their money out. I could only imagine back in the 30s, or even before that, seeing that happen, the panic that you would have when knowing uh, that you may be losing your entire life savings. I couldn't imagine it. And then in the crash in 1929, um, and I, I talked about the history of the 1929 crash and the depo uh, depression that followed. Maybe I'll do another follow-up on that in a coming program. But uh, 
people in the street on Wall Street. I mean, all around, broad and wall, there's tens of thousands of people trying to get information outside the New York Stock Exchange what was going on. I can only imagine the panic when you see your hard-earned life savings disappear. Must be crazy. But nowadays, you won't see it. You're not going to see a line around the bank. I don't think so. Well, maybe you will. Uh, but smart money, the real money that would be coming out of that bank, you won't see. It would be in wire transfers uh, coming out of the bank. Well, this was a little concerning this week. I don't know if you heard about this. Bank of America customers report disappeared money from accounts. You hear about that? Uh, they came under fire at Bank of America uh, after users said money was missing from their bank accounts. Multiple customers went public with the fact that their money was missing and they couldn't get a hold of Bank of America. Uh, some Bank of America customers said money is missing from their accounts, including funds from Zelle deposits and transactions. Zelle is like one of these peer-to-peer um, cash transfer things. So if you have a small business like on eBay or something, you know, people could pay you with Zelle. And it's tied to your bank account, and you know you sell a number of products, two thousand dollars in your bank account the next day or, or the same day. It's almost instantaneous. People are saying, "Wait a second, I just got paid two thousand dollars, and it's missing from my account. It was actually reflected on the balance hours ago, and now it's gone. And now nobody's accepting calls at Bank of America. You, know, you can see how distressing that may be." Now, Bank of America finally came out and acknowledged that there was a problem with processing Zelle transactions, uh, but said that it would be resolved later on Wednesday. We did have an issue where there was a delay in posting Zelle transactions. It was resolved earlier today, um, said the spokesman for Bank of America. Uh, but Bank of America customers were saying a day later, they still don't see it fixed. I don't know what that means. Uh, that's something to be concerned about or not. All right, uh, so that's the story with the banks. Uh, uh, you know, the problem is you don't want to go from the frying pan into the fire. Uh, you know, transferring your money from Wells Fargo to Bank of America or from Bank of America to PNC Bank, that's not protecting yourself. Uh, I'm even concerned now that uh, even community banks may not be the best place to go with that. Certainly better than one of those top five Wall Street banks with all the derivatives. It'd take a little longer time to catch up with them. Uh, but the best place, if you're going to keep cash, best place to keep it is in a U.S. Treasury money market mutual fund, or better yet, gold and silver coins. All right, our phone number here is 732-237-9626. Let's go to Pat in Point Pleasant. How are you doing this morning, Pat? Good morning. Uh, morning, Lou. Uh, two things. Uh, you brought up the, the I-bond thing. That's another topic I want to talk real quick about. But what's going on around here is I, I'm concerned with that. Me and my wife, we rent. And uh, all this about the rents being being uh, going up around here. Uh, my landlord, he has lots of units around Point Pleasant, and they're usually they're about over two thousand. Uh, our units are under two thousand, and then all of a sudden, recently, they've been doing like quote unquote improvements around the properties. And uh, the scuttlebutt around here is that he let his family, his sons and daughter take over because he's getting old. And uh, that their game plan is to up the rent a lot. Okay, we, we, we pay about 1500 uh, It's probably shooting for 18 to 2000 We're, we're uh, seniors, 
she's somewhat disabled. Um, what are what are our, our protections against this, or what can we do? Is there anything? I mean, we don't want to move. We like our place. Um, I, I, you know, it's just the fear. Are we going to be like rented out because you know financially, like? Well, that's a that's a that's a great concern. Uh, I, I actually have received emails from retired people uh, with that same exact concern. Uh, that retired people are being priced out, especially in the rental market. Uh, uh, and and that's the thing. You, you know, if you own a home, you pretty much know your fixed expenses. Now, yes, the property taxes can continue to go up, and they do. Uh, I, I guess you can call that a rent increase. Uh, but it's not the same if it's going from 1500 to 2000 A lot of people, especially here in New Jersey, especially here at the Jersey Shore, in Monmouth and Ocean County, are experiencing that rental inflation. Uh, and it's it's pretty dreadful. Uh, uh, is there any protections against it? No, there's really not. I mean, uh, if I own a property, I have a right to charge whatever rent I want on it, and you have uh, the ability to accept it or move out and go somewhere else. Um, and that's why we have such a homeless problem now in the United States. Now, part of that's due to drug abuse and uh, mental illness, but there's a lot of people who are just can't afford to buy a home or rent a home. They buy a van and they live in a van down by the river as they used to say right yeah, um, it's not it's not funny it's, it's really not uh, uh people are really struggling out there um and god forbid and meanwhile we have a federal reserve who's trying to cause a deep recession if not worse which only makes it worse for those people on the margin uh uh and the inflation that we've been dealing with that was created by the federal reserve is causing real estate prices to go up and uh, and rental as well so uh, yeah, it's a pretty stressful process, a stressful issue, especially if you're on a fixed income, you're retired, uh, you like where you are, and, and now you're forced to make housing decisions that you weren't prepared to make. It's it's really a sad situation, Pat, but there's not really anything you can do about it. I mean, you know, uh, short of having rent controls, which you do have in like New York City or stuff, but uh, I don't see rent controls coming um, uh, to New Jersey here unless we have a really serious situation, but um, that's the only way to prevent these things from happening, which is central government control over free enterprise, uh, which is what rent controls are, um, uh, just like wage controls or anything else that's done during inflationary times. Government comes in. They make currency controls. You can't exchange the dollar for euros or anything like that. Meanwhile, the dollar is dropping. That's a currency control. Um, uh, price controls. You can't raise your prices. You remember Nixon did that? Um, um wasn't well. Nixon did it down in the mid seventies. Uh, I think it also happened during the inflationary spike um, in the early eighties. Uh, price controls—you can't raise your prices. So what happens? Supply goes down, prices go up anyway because nobody's going to manufacture something they lose money on, right? Uh, then you have wage controls—you can't raise people's uh, salaries uh, in an inflationary environment. So uh, rent control is not something I see coming anytime soon. Uh, what you've brought up, many people have brought up to me privately or through email. Uh, that they're very concerned, especially for retired people, um, that they're going to be priced out of their, their rental. And where do you go from there? Uh, yeah. g- great question. And I, I, I wish I had the answer for you, Pat, but I don't. Um, next thing, real quick, uh, my iPods have been having a nightmare to try to get into my account. I put in my information, and then I hit next or submit, and then it comes back uh, that the information's wrong. Even with the even with the uh, questions where they had the security questions, I'm like, well, these are the questions. In fact, I use the same 
answers to these same questions on other sites, and they're saying it's, that it's incorrect, try again. Have you ever had any trouble getting into your account? Yes, um, not my account, but I set up accounts for clients that aren't computer savvy, uh, and we had that same problem. We're putting in the right information, and it wasn't allowing us in, so we had to reset the password. Uh, you know, if you hit a wall there, I think there's a, a click there, you know, forgot my password or need help. And they'll send you an email with a link that right. gets you in there again. But the thing is, like, when they ask for, like, your your your, your address, your your email, your uh, name, phone number, and I hit all, all the stuff, that, the normal stuff, hit submit, like, none of that matches. What do you mean it doesn't match? I'm at all guard. This is where I live. This is my phone number. This is my cell phone. Well, what's, what's the problem? I, and then if I, I don't know. That for the, the security questions, I it's the same questions. My first car, my first pet, where my where I was born. These are things that I, I can't say. I know where I was born. Yeah. And unfortunately, so there's nobody to call to fix it, right? Uh, yeah, uh, some people, a lot of people, have been having problems with the um, the Treasury Direct website, uh, uh, and I don't know the answer except for trying to reset the password. Any option they give you to forgot username, forgot password, uh, try to do it yeah. that way. I was successful in getting into my client's account uh, by messing around there, but if you're not computer uh, savvy, it could be could be very oh, yeah. frustrating. Yeah, it's just frustrating when the information you're putting is correct and they're telling you it's not. Yeah, well, there's and then government. Can call the number, but it's eight to four thirty, and that's exactly when I work. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, no. I don't think it's going to be picked up immediately <laughs> uh, if you call the government on that. Uh, good luck uh, on that, Pat. I don't know what to tell you, but uh, yeah, some people have been having trouble with that website. It's been overwhelmed too because so many people are trying to buy I bonds because their their yields are so high. What is it right now? Six point eight two, I believe. Uh, for the next six months, it was 9.62 uh, between May of November and November. Uh, but still, uh, it's, it's still a great rate uh, compared to other risk-free investments. And uh, unfortunately, limited to 10000 a calendar year per Social Security number because for a lot of people, that doesn't really make a big life difference uh, where you can't put 100000 in it or more. Um, but, uh, but you know, hey, look, it's, it's, it's a good... $10,000 a year, you know, mm-hmm. about. So, I mean, it's not too bad for not doing anything. No. You pretend to walk out with a thousand or close to it. You know, you can't really blame, right? Well, but the thing is, to get to do something about it, that's the problem. Like, well, maybe, 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 maybe the government's confiscated it because we're broke and we need the money. So, <laughs> anybody in an I bond uh, is going to be uh, the money is going to be taken away. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm only kidding. Uh, I don't want to start. start I, I started enough problems with the FDIC and the banks. I don't, I don't want to start a problem with the U.S. government not paying your I-bonds. Well, good luck. Keep, yeah. try, keep trying to get in there. That's all I can tell you. Thanks for the call, Pat. Good luck. And um, sorry about that rent situation. I mean, a lot of people are dealing with that. But what are you going to do, right? Yeah, yeah good yeah. luck. Hang in there. Yeah, tough times that we're living in. Uh, a couple of tax issues. I mean, we're, we're moving into tax season, my busiest time of the year. Uh, uh, getting a lot of emails from you people. Uh, Louie, you taking on new tax clients? Yes, every year I take on new tax clients. Every year, especially lately, you know, I've been in business 40 years. A lot of my clients are dying off, unfortunately. So, yeah, we're always taking on new clients. And uh, uh, call my office uh, at 732-905-8100 if you want to make an appointment. Um, New clients, we give you a $100 discount on the first year. 
Uh, and my rates are very reasonable to begin with. Um, uh, so if you want, you're looking for a new accountant, uh, yeah, I'm available. I do all the returns myself, and uh, we'll meet with you, and we'll go over last year's tax return, make sure it was right, uh, and then do this year's taxes. But some of the changes to taxes that I want you to be aware of uh, going into the season, um, Congress uh, decided that, uh, in that big, uh, I think, an omnibus bill, uh, that 22 tax returns, uh, you're not going to get the um, $300 or $600 charitable deduction if you don't itemize deductions. Uh, last few years, if you were single, you could deduct $300 for charitable contributions, even though you did not itemize. Now, a lot of people don't itemize anymore because they doubled the standard deduction, which is quite substantial. Uh, married couples, it's twenty five nine. It's even higher if you're a senior, 65 and older. Uh, but if you're a married couple, you're under 65, it's almost $26,000. You know, it's pretty hard to exceed that in itemized deductions unless you have big medical expenses or you're very charitable or whatever. All right. So, uh, uh, and if you're single, it's, uh, it's almost 13,000. Um, uh, and almost 15 if you're 65 and up. So most people don't itemize. I'd say only 10 to 12% of the people itemize now. So if you give money to your church or any other charity, you can't deduct it. And they gave you a provision where you could deduct $300 in the front of your return. It's just a straight $300 automatically. Okay. If you gave 300, well, most of us have given $300 away in charity over the year. Uh, and if you were married, 600. Now it's not a lot of money. It's not a big deduction, but they did away with it. It was only good for 2020 and 2021. So just so you know that. Uh, there is a change. Another change is uh, in uh, 2023, you don't have to take a required minimum distribution. If you're turning 72, uh, you could wait till 73. That's the new uh, first year of reti- um, required minimum distributions. Another change in the tax rules uh, that are good is higher amounts you could put in IRA accounts. Uh, it increased uh, to $6,500 per person. And if you're over 50, you could do $1,000 more, which is 7500 So the more they give you uh, to put away and deduct uh, into an IRA account, the better. They also upped um, 401Ks and 403Bs uh, by $2,000 uh, up to 22500 So any incentive to put more money into retirement plans is a good thing, um, and, uh, and more people should take advantage of it. Unfortunately, it's being very, very difficult for people uh, to just put food on a table, fill up their gas tank, pay their rent, pay their mortgage, uh, uh, send their kids to school that uh, many Americans now are not maxing out the amount of money that goes into retirement plans. And they're certainly going to pay the price in retirement. And I'm seeing it now as many people either voluntarily retiring or involuntarily retiring um, that don't have enough put away. Uh, to live in retirement, and there's a major retirement crisis coming. Uh, it's already here, uh, and I think it's going to get worse. And uh, Pat called in talking about how hard it is, you know, to pay rent, and rents are going up. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, retirement income is not going up to compensate for it. All right, top of the hour, time for a break. Seven three two two three seven nine six two six is our phone number here on the Financial Physician. My name's Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 
It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, welcome to hour two of our two-hour program we call The Financial Physician, where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything, current events, anything that affects your life here, uh, we talk about on The Financial Physician. We mix it all up, and it all goes together. Uh, everything affects our money, doesn't it? Everything. Uh, we talked about inflation. That affects our money. Taxes. That affects our money. Healthcare. We'll talk about a little bit. That affects our money. Uh, lots to talk about here in our second hour. Um, our second hour tends to be more current event, political. Uh, many of you love that part. Other part, people like the financial part. I get emails. Well, you're a financial show. Why don't you do more finance? I get emails. Lou, I love your political stuff. You know, why don't you do more politics? Well, I'm trying to satisfy everybody because, uh, you know, the show is the financial position after all. So we talk markets. We talk politics. We talk everything. Uh, that could affect your financial way of life, and and, and and everything does. Now, I want to talk about, we're going to get to the World Economic Forum. Talk about affecting your financial life. Well, the World Economic Forum uh, could. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second. First, I want to get to uh, a couple of other things, and we're going to go there. Uh, uh, let's talk... Uh, uh, let's talk financial markets. How do I lose things? It was just right in front of me. Uh, all right, so a paper I had right in front of me just totally disappeared. All right, we'll skip financial markets. We'll come back to it when I find when I find my paper. But, uh, you know, we're hearing that, you know, all these jobs are being created in the economy, which a lot of people are, like, scratching their head. Uh, how could uh, the economy be creating jobs when uh, we're hearing every day of these major layoffs? And this week was no exception. Uh, Microsoft came out on Friday and said they're going to lay off 10,000 employees as part of a massive cost-cutting initiative. Uh, so they're going to – now, now we've also heard from other high-tech companies uh, uh, that are laying off. Google announced this week uh, they're going to lay off 12,000. Um, Amazon is laying off 15,000, and now Microsoft 10. So just in the last couple of weeks, you know, here you're talking, you know, tens of thousands of people being laid off. And it's happening in manufacturing. It's happening, you know, across the economy. Maybe a while the government will come out and tell you uh, that um, that uh, the, the jobs are being created. The unemployment rate is uh, 3.7%. Uh, which we know is not true. Uh, but again, government would never lie to you, would they? No, they wouldn't lie to you. All right, let's talk about um, the World Economic Forum, the WEF. Now, this has been going on for a long, long time, and I never really paid much attention to it. Uh, I'd have the financial news on in my office, and I'd see you know the people at Davos, you know where all these people get together in Switzerland. 
uh, for their annual convention. And these are the powers that be. Okay, this is the very elite of elites. And they get together once a year, about 3,000 of them. And by the way, you can only be part of the World Economic Forum if you're invited to be. So you have to be, um, you know, one of them, number one, whatever that means. Uh, But these are top CEOs. These are um, um, presidents and prime ministers. Uh, lawmakers, uh, big media, big pharma, uh, they all get together. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, they have a fun time. This isn't all business. You hear like something like a thousand hookers have been shipped in at $2,500 a night. <laughs> Uh, well, that's uh, it's good economic forum for the for the hookers. <laughs> right? They're making a lot of money every year. Oh God, the you know the elite they have their own rules, don't they? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to go too. I don't want to go further into that. <laughs> but anyway, these are these are these are the kingmakers, the powers that be, the elite, the Illuminati, uh, and they go there to solve the world's problems. Uh, so what are the things that they talked about uh, at the World Economic Forum? Well, you know, the things they always talk about. Climate change. That was the big deal. Climate change. Uh, uh, and, you know, th- this is the group uh, that's run by um, Klaus Schwab. Most people never heard the name Klaus Schwab until recently. Uh, but now I, 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 I got to admit, too, that I really didn't hear a lot about him um, either. But he's the one who established um, the World Economic Forum. And it's based in uh, Switzerland, Geneva. It was founded uh, in January of 1971 by German engineer and economist Klaus Schwab. The foundation, which is mostly funded by its 1,000 member companies, uh, usually global enterprises with more than $5 billion in sales, uh, and its mission is to improve the state of the world by engaging business, po- political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, industrial agendas. They're mostly known for their annual meeting at the end of January in Davos, Switzerland. The meeting brings together some 3,000 paying members and selected participants, among who are investors, business leaders, political leaders, economists, celebrities, and journalists. They meet for up to five days. Uh, to discuss global issues in 500 different sessions. Now, you've heard some news come out of some of these sessions. Uh, I'll play some of them for you. Uh, these people, this is when you hear the New World Order, the globalists. That's who this group is, all right? Unelected people uh, who want to control you and control the entire world. That's what this is. Uh, so they talked about, there was, what, 50 heads of state, Biden didn't go because what he's going to do, just wander around, <laughs> uh, shaking the air. Uh, uh, 200 cabinet ministers, 1,500 business leaders, 130 countries from around the world, and 1,500 hookers, by invitation only. Um, so uh, what are they talking about this year? They're talk- talking about, they- they're calling this the year of the poly crisis. A poly crisis, um, whatever that means, uh, uh, means many crises, I guess. The first one is the cost of living crisis. Um, 
It says here, uh, the year of the polycrisis, a year in which all the problems humanity is facing have become more interwoven, more reciprocally damaging than ever, and ultimately harder to solve. Like pandemics, vaccine mandates, cost of living, uh, Ukrainian war. Um, The ongoing war in Ukraine also was a big uh, thing there. Uh, Ukraine's president, Zelensky. By the way, the more I learned about this guy, the worse he is. Uh, he's very wealthy now. I wonder where that money came from. Uh, he addressed uh, the conference via video link. Uh, now, Russia does not have a presence. They're not invited. So, you know, when they're talking about the war in Ukraine, what came out of it basically is more money, more weapons, defeat Russia. Which is another word for uh, more money more weapons, nuclear war. Russia is not going to be defeated. And I I don't know how the West believes that they're going to do this in a proxy war. This isn't Ukraine against Russia. This is the West against Russia. I mean, we're providing them with all the money, all the weapons. We provided them more money than Russia's entire annual defense budget. You try to tell me that the U.S. and the West is not at war with Russia right now? A, a war that you can't win, given the fact that you both have doomsday weapons. It's, it's just amazing. No talk of, how about sending a, a peace delegation to Moscow and figure out how we can end this thing? Maybe we could end the inflation that we're seeing in energy. Maybe we could end uh, the starvation in Africa because there's no wheat getting out of Russia. Maybe we could uh, uh, solve the food crisis uh, worldwide by freeing up fertilizer. And maybe we could avoid thermonuclear destruction and the extinction of our species. I think that would be worth sending a delegation to see if we can't. They don't want to. That's the frustrating thing about this. They don't want to. What does that tell you? So, but one of the big things there was climate crisis, as is the norm there, environmental activists. Well, I... You know, it's kind of interesting that all these people fly in in their private jets. Did you see how many private jets were all lined up in the airport there? It was like 250, 300 of them. Uh, and they're so hypocritical. You know, don't worry about what I do. Worry about what you do. So one of the, one of the um, people there, uh, this was the CEO of Siemens Company. Have you heard of Siemens? Siemens is a gigantic electronics company, an engineering company in uh, Germany. It's one of their biggest companies. So he came out and he started talking about, well, maybe if billions of people don't eat meat, uh, that would be good for the environment. But if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you, it has a big impact. Not only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but it will also inspire innovation of food systems. And I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. That is a mission that we need to get on. I can inspire you to maybe look at an organization called EAT, Easy to remember. Eat. <laughs> who have all the facts on this and who have the policies necessary, the innovations necessary 
and the scale necessary in order to make food systems sustainable and healthy. All right, so they're watching fake meat now. All right. This is the World Economic Forum. This is Klaus Schwab who said, you know, basically you'd have nothing and be happy. You'll live in a storage container and you'll be eating bugs. Do you, do you see how now into the uh, narrative you're hearing about alternative protein sources like bugs, like beetles, mealworms, uh, printed steaks, uh, <laughs> 3D printed steaks, uh, and now alternatives to meat that'll taste better, be better for you. I wouldn't trust any food that's manufactured by government. Uh, God did not intend me to eat fake meat. According to the Bible, animals were put on the planet for humans to consume. Anyway. So these are the kind of crazy people that are at this thing. You know, these are the ones that want to uh, 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 reduce population by 6 billion, have us eaten uh, anything but meat, um, and uh, bring in our carbon footprint down. Now, I, I think many of you have seen this because it is so unhinged. Uh, uh, Al Gore, this guy never went away, even after the 2000 election. Uh, you know, Mr. Climate himself with a, a, a 10,000 square foot home with three different zones of heat uh, and flies all over the world. Oh, by the way, you know, Al Gore's worth $300 billion right now. No, no, no. $300 million, I'm sorry. $300 million right now. When he uh, was vice president, he was worth like $2 million or something like that. How did that happen? I don't know. But he's talking about climate change and environmental footprint. And he's at this panel. And if you didn't see it, I'm going to play it for you. And he's just going nuts. He's, t- you know, you can see his eyes are popping out and he's sweating. He's, um, he's becoming unhinged. And he's talking about oceans boiling. And listen. So that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere. Uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach 1 billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. Okay. Uh, gotta love the environmentalists. You gotta love these climate people. Uh, yeah, then he got on his private jet and flew across the world. <laughs> uh, you can't have a climate footprint or a carbon footprint, uh, but I can. Uh, do you know every day it's like 600 nuclear bombs going off in the atmosphere? Did you know that, Paul? <laughs> I, I learned something there. Uh, and I didn't know that the oceans were boiling. I was on a cruise last month. I, they, they didn't seem like they were boiling to me. I don't know. Maybe in some places of the world the ocean is boiling. 
I've never seen a rain bomb before. <laughs> what, are they going to stop the volcanoes? There you go. Shut the volcanoes. Yeah, what about carbon footprint that one has, right? Yeah, one volcano. It's kind of scary because I think like almost every volcano in the world is like erupting right now. <laughs> it, I don't think we've ever had so many volcanoes at the same time. What does that mean? Kind of reminds me, if you remember, you remember the original Superman movie when uh, Krypton, where he was from, what was happening there while they had to leave? It's kind of like the stuff that's happening here. <laughs> Maybe it was predictive programming uh, that our, pl- our planet's falling apart. Um, and uh, there's not a big spaceship to take us away, I guess. Uh, anyway, but um, yeah, this World Economic Forum thing is you got to be careful with this stuff. Uh, this is this is the uh, the masters of the universe uh, uh, out there. Now, did you see, Paul, this Rebel News that's there? Rebel News is uh, independent news media. Uh, there's probably 157 accredited news media at Davos, but they're all part of the Davos community. They're all members. So they never ask hard questions of anybody. They're all part of the same group. But this group that's out there now from Canada is called Rebel News. I never heard of them before, but they they um, they uh, cornered the um, CEO of Pfizer, uh, Borland, I think his name is. And there he's walking towards the conference. Now, this is outside the perimeter because, you know, they're not allowed in the perimeter. Uh, and they start asking him a bunch of questions. They ask him 27 questions in a row, questions that the mainstream media should be asking. Uh, and uh, and he doesn't answer one of them. Listen to this. Mr. Borlet, can I ask you, did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. That question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans- stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission. Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Generally, apologies to the public, sir. Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apologies, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing? Who did you meet with here in secret? 
Well, you disclose who you met with. Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? No. Were you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Shame on you, sir. Shame on you. All right. He wouldn't answer one of these questions. So he's walking. He's got a long walk, too, which gave him a lot of time to follow him and ask these questions. And I almost felt bad for the guy. No, not really. I almost felt bad for the guy, though, because uh, he was being peppered. He's not used to getting questions like this. The mainstream media would not ask these questions, even though, you know, you have I read to you every week, not every week, but many weeks. Last week, I read all the deaths that are happening, all the myocarditis, all the athletes that are, uh, are falling. Uh, dropping dead, people on the news dropping dead. This is what you see, let alone whatever. And they won't stop the back. That's the thing that blows my mind is how they won't even stop this. Uh, they still keep doing it no matter how un- ineffective it is. Um, even though people with the vaccine are getting COVID, they're dying of COVID. Uh, uh, it's like getting polio vaccine and getting polio and dying from polio, but they keep giving the polio vaccine. And then you're dying of the polio vaccine. It, it just It just doesn't make any sense uh but there's a reason why all right because the news will not ask these questions well why won't mainstream media answer these questions why because they're making a lot of money from pfizer advertising and health and human services paid a billion dollars to the media to push out this propaganda listen to this Brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper, 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Bill Gates' advice on how to combat mistrust in science at 60minutesovertime.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. You really need to get vaccinated. You know, COVID vaccines are now available for children five years and older. And the more people who get them, the better we're going to be able to help stop the spread of COVID. Okay. This is the financial physician, not brought to you by Pfizer, so I can talk about these things. You wonder why the mainstream media don't have a an interview with this guy and ask them about the questions that those guys it takes these two guys from Canada Rebel News to ask the questions that every major media organization should be asking it's amazing it's unbelievable really
what is the big news that really came out of uh, Davos this week at the World Economic Forum? Underreported. Uh, but this is one earth-shattering thing that came out. All the other stuff is pablum. The climate change stuff and all that. that, that that's, it's called garbage. Uh, what came out is Saudi Arabia killed the petrodollar right in front of our eyes, right at the World Economic Forum, where they stated that they are ready to trade in currencies other than the U.S. dollar for oil. This is earth-shattering. Now, I told you this was coming, right? But for them to say this, it is, this didn't come out of some rumor mill or something. This was announced by Saudi officials at the most prestigious elite gathering, the World Economic Forum. And, you know, they had a meeting in December with uh, China's president, Xi Jinping, uh, and uh, there was talk about uh, the kingdom is ready to trade a yuan instead of the dollar in trade exchanges. So we are seeing the death of the petrodollar and maybe the beginning of the petro yuan, yuan being uh, the Chinese currency. Uh, Saudi Arabia also announced its intention to join the BRICS alliance. This is earth-shattering stuff, by the way. I mean, this BRICS alliance, this is going to encompass much more population of the world, much more natural resources of the world. It's going to be a bigger economy than the West. Uh, It's going to have India. It's going to have China. It's going to have Saudi Arabia. It's going to have other Middle Eastern oil-producing nations. It's going to have Brazil. It's going to have uh, North Korea, maybe, South America, uh, South Africa. And I, I, I venture to guess that a lot of Eastern European countries are going to be part of this trade union. Singapore, uh, the entire uh, Eastern Hemisphere uh, is going to be joining this BRICS alliance. They're going to have their own currency. Uh, and their currency is going to be backed by um, natural resources and uh It'll be the beginning of the end of the U.S. dollar. And the only reason the U.S. dollar has been able to hold its value is because of its reserve currency status. Uh, all the other stuff was noise out of Davos, um, out of the World Economic Forum. Same old stuff, eating bugs, climate change, and uh, censorship, misinformation, uh, control. Uh, these are the masters of the universe that, that that want you either dead, silenced, or what have you. And uh, it's time to start keeping an eye on these elites who want to call the shots for you. Uh, let's take a quick break. 237-962-6732-237-9626 is our call number. My name is Luz Gatigna. Don't go away. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to JerseyShoreSeptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most 
affordable rates. Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician. Heard every Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m. right here on 92.7 WOBM-FN. Hey, it's that time again, income tax season. There has been many changes to tax rules the last few years. Some deductions have been eliminated and some have been expanded. Avoid IRS headaches by putting my 35 years tax preparation experience to work for you. I guarantee that your return will be accurate and in most cases will be prepared and ready for you in less than three business days. This season, I'm taking on a limited number of new tax clients. Call for an appointment today and receive a $100 discount off our already reasonable fee. Tax season does not have to be stressful anymore. Call and lock up your appointment at our downtown Tom's River office by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. AFM Investments has been providing financial planning and income tax preparation for over 35 years. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered investment advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. I'm Luz Katigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or planning to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to afford Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, we're in the home stretch. 25 minutes left in our two-hour program, The Financial Physician. We come to you each and every Sunday live here on 92.7 WOBM, 7 to 9 a.m., but if you don't get up that early or you go to church or you don't want to listen to this type of show early Sunday morning, go to the, the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, Paul puts the podcast up right after the show's over. So probably 10 minutes after the show's over, you can listen to it. Many of you do t- tune in at nine o'clock uh, to the podcast and and hundreds and hundreds of you listen to the podcast. And I do appreciate that. That's right at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, feel free um, to uh, send it to other people, uh, let them know about it, send the link, put it on your social media, put it on um, forums and websites that you think uh, would benefit by this kind of information because you can't get straightforward 
no-nonsense information um, on traditional media. It is so propagandist. And, and that's the thing I, you know, being in the media, so to speak, um, uh, for 25 years, I've seen the evolve, uh, how the media has evolved. It is propaganda, pure and simple. You notice how, you know, you'll see, uh, just take the morning talk shows. CBS, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, they all say the same thing every day. Everyone gets gets the email, of the phrases you're supposed to use, uh, how you're supposed to couch uh, any situation that's out there. Remember the thing was when uh, with Biden and his, his documents is top secret. The key was that it's different than Trump. All right. That was the email that day. Everybody, every how different it was. Right. Trump is a criminal for doing it, but Biden, no, no, no. It's just, yeah, just an oversight, nothing there. And they keep finding papers, by the way. Um, and also the media is bought and paid for by, brought to you by Pfizer. Um, it's really wicked. Evil. I tell you, evil abounds in our world right now, and it's in so many different shapes and sizes. Wait till I talk about some of the sick stuff that's going on uh, in our country and getting sicker by the day. So uh, Biden's on his way out. It's obvious. Uh, The deep state is done with him. They're ready to throw him into the trash can. Uh, They don't like um, they don't want Biden to have any say in anything. They don't want him running again. Uh, and you could tell this by the way the media is handling this this document story. At first, they were trying to deflect it, and uh, then they got the notice that hey, we're done with him. Uh, now you have it was announced today that uh, it's most likely that his chief of staff, Ron Klein, uh, is going to resign. Uh, you're going to see a lot of rats jump ship right now uh, as uh, more and more comes out. I mean, every day, where didn't he hide documents? I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And apparently, uh, this was the Department of Justice that showed up and did a 13-hour search of his home. I guess they had to do something to uh, counter the argument that, hey, Trump gets raided and, 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 and he, his lawyers can do it themselves. Uh, it doesn't sound right. So they sent a couple of people from the Justice Department to go through his things. Uh, by the way, there was no TV there, no pictures, nothing like that. No helicopter flying in circles around uh, uh, his house. But... Um, it's uh, you're seeing it in the in the in the press room in the White House press room. Uh, usually, it's only Peter Ducey from Fox asking any tough questions. Everything else is no uh, softballs. Uh, but now the press is starting to get fed up with this Karine Jean Pierre, uh, who comes out there every day. Why does she even go out there when she doesn't answer anything? All right. Uh, if you ask any question regarding this, she refers you to the Department of Justice, who refers you to uh, uh, the White House counsel. You know, it's just one big circle thing going on here, and nobody answers the question. So Biden comes out, and uh, he's in California. Uh, uh, purportedly, he went there to look at the devastation from the rain storms that they've had there the last couple of weeks. Some are speculating that he went out there to meet with Gavin Newsom and see if he's interested in the vice presidentship, that they would get rid of Kamala, put him in. And then Biden would resign from dementia or health reasons. Uh, and now Newsom would be president. That that's what the powers that be want. 
Um, so what happens? So uh, Kamala says she's leaving for to be with, spend more time with her family. Uh, and Newsom is named the vice president. A few months later, Biden resigns. We have President Newsom. He announced Michelle Obama is his vice president, and there's your running team for 2024. I wouldn't be surprised, would you, Paul? No, I wouldn't be surprised. It sounded like something going on here. But poor Pierre, Jean, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, I kind of feel bad for her sometimes because they're throwing her out there with no cover. I don't even think she's in the information loop. I don't think she knows anything that was going on. I, I, I think when they discovered these documents in November, I bet she didn't find out about it until it broke. And if that was me as press secretary, I would resign that day. Uh, but they're still not allowing her to talk. All she could do is uh, look at her, her binder, and whatever's written there is what she's allowed to say. And it's frustrating to everybody in the press corps that want to get answers here, especially now that they're throwing them under the bus. So so a defiant Joe Biden said, you know, when he was talking in California, uh, that he has no regrets when asked about the stolen classified documents in his garage next to his Corvette. And 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 she was asked by the press, why did he say that? What does the president mean when he says no regrets? Because he's also said he takes very seriously the handling of uh, classified documents. So I'm unclear what he means about no regrets. So I'm not going to uh, comment further from what the president has said uh, yesterday. I think he. Uh, he laid out his thoughts. He was asked about it. He laid out his thoughts of whatever question he was asked. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get into specifics, or I'm not going to uh, go beyond what the president has said. But I will reiterate from here uh, that, uh, and basically what he said to 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 all of you many times at this point, that he does indeed take classified information and seriously. He does indeed take classified documents seriously. I'm just not going to go beyond that. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's Office for any specifics. On on um, on on the president's comments or what how the process is moving forward. So she has no comment basically on anything. And again, referring to the council office, uh, she's the president's spokeswoman. Right? She's supposed to speak for him. All right. He said he had no regrets. He doesn't regret the fact that he has top secret information where we shouldn't have it, and it may destroy his presidency. Certainly, his ability to run in twenty twenty four, and it may be criminal. But he has no regrets. But he does take classified documents very seriously. No, he just takes classified documents. <laughs> no, he seriously takes classified documents. And how many times? Is this the fourth tranche of documents they found? Um, I wonder how much more there is. I want to know what's in these documents. Are these documents related to some of the deals that him and his family have made in Ukraine or China or whatever? Is, is, he, is he taking these documents because they're evidence of crimes? We'll see. But uh, his people are starting to jump ship right now. Um, uh, they know that this is, you know, they're taking Joe down now. The deep stake is taking him down. Uh, it's pretty obvious uh, to anybody who's been around Washington and knows politics. Nothing nothing happens without a reason for it happening. 
So we'll have to follow this and see what happens. But the Justice Department found six more classified documents in um, in his home uh, on Friday. And I'd be exacerbate, uh, exacerbated if uh, I was um, his spokesman and has to come out every few days and say no comment on this. Unbelievable. Uh, but make no mistake about it. Uh, you know, Biden's presidency is over. And more and more of this stuff's going to come out. And now you have an investigation starting this week in Congress as Congress convenes with a Republican majority. Uh, we're going to see where that goes. I found my sheet on financial markets for the week. Let's uh, just give you a quick update. Uh, the Dow Jones, it was a very volatile week. Uh, we had some pretty significant down days and some up days. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 2.7% for the week. Uh, Year-to-date, 0.69% uh, positive, so it's basically flat for the year. S&P 500 was down less, uh, seven-tenths of 1%, uh, but up 3.47% for the year. And the NASDAQ was actually positive for the year, up uh, half a point, up 6.44% year-to-date. So uh, while the Dow outperformed the S&P and the S&P outperformed the NASDAQ last year, to the downside, now we're seeing just the opposite, to the upside. The, the, the NASDAQ's outperforming the S&P, and the S&P's outperforming the Dow, which is natural when markets go the other way. Ten-year Treasury um, bond is yielding 3.48%, uh, significantly below the 4% it was a few months back. 30-year uh, fixed-rate mortgage continues to drop uh, which is a good sign for home buyers and, and potential home sellers. Uh, 6.15% uh, is the average national uh, interest rate on the 30-year fixed. I mean, still twice what it was uh, before Biden took office, but uh, trending in the right direction. Uh, gold and silver doing well. Gold is at $1,927 an ounce. Uh, silver just under $24 an ounce. Not a hell of a lot of movement this week. Um, uh, cryptocurrencies are having a good 2023 so far. Bitcoin um, is up something like 20% um, uh, year to date. Uh, crossed 23000 uh yesterday. Uh, so if you're into Bitcoin, uh, at least it's uh, the blood bleeding has stopped. Um, still down about 57% from its high, uh, but trending in the right direction. Gasoline's been pretty stable. Uh, at 337, 340 a gallon nationwide. Oil prices relatively stable at 8140 uh, a barrel. So we were talking about uh, vaccines, Pfizer, and you know all the things going on with it, and how nobody will ask them questions on it. Uh, and we're starting to get a lot of information coming out about not only the ineffectiveness of the vaccine, but safety issues regarding the vaccine. And you're hearing it more overseas than you're hearing it here. Uh, headline, temporary morgues are being built across UK due to unprecedented increase in excess deaths. An unprecedented increase in deaths has prompted the construction of temporary morgues in various locations throughout the UK, including tourist hotspots and airports. Uh the death toll in England and Wales continues to rise, even though COVID-related deaths have dropped. Well, what could be killing all these people? Uh, as a result, health, health experts have requested an immediate investigation into the source of the rising non-COVID excess deaths. Health experts are still looking for answers and have called for an urgent investigation. They believe that the pandemic response, lack of access to health care, and even the cost of living crisis may be to blame. Are you kidding me? 
In short, health experts are baffled. British cardiologist, esteemed Dr. Asim Malhutra, a highly esteemed award-winning NHS consultant cardiologist, stated that the deaths were likely linked to the experimental COVID vaccines. All right, so one person speaking up. A recent report claimed 50,000 excess deaths were reported in 2022 compared to a normal year. The excess deaths in the UK last year was the worst in 50 years. This is probably a contributing factor. The mRNA COVID vaccines do carry cardiac risks. I've actually called for a suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what is causing the excess deaths. Now, temporary morgues are being used for overflow space by hospitals in the UK with full morgues. Uh, It's not just the UK. And why would it be? It's the same poison that everybody's taking. Uh, Funeral homes in Norway sound the alarm as they struggle to store all the dead people as a result of Norway's skyrocketing excess mortality rate. The number of people needing funeral services in Trondheim City, central Norway, has risen dramatically. Uh, Lars Van Holm, fourth generation general manager of Trondheim's largest funeral home, has said that the funeral home's century-long history has never seen anything like the current number of deaths. It's a market increase, and we have not experienced anything like it in four generations. In order to deal with the increasing number of dead, they have opened a cool emergency room storage in the garage. Key scientist sounds alarm. Withdraw COVID shots immediately. A key scientist in the United Kingdom, Dr. Richard Enos, has written a column for Summit News calling that uh, for the COVID-19 shots to be withdrawn immediately. He's a retired professor of evolutionary biology at Edinburgh University and has analyzed his nation's yellow card adverse event reporting system for vaccinations and found there were our unequivocal signs about reactions to Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that affect the blood, the heart, and female reproductive organs. There could be no question that mRNA vaccines should be withdrawn with immediate effect. There are uh, there already is much evidence of the injurious impact of the COVID shots from young athletes dying from unexplained causes of myocarditis to sudden adult death syndrome for others. Sudden death, adult death syndrome. <laughs> that's called vaccine death, my friends. That's the way. They, that's propaganda. He uh, noted that over a half a million adverse events were reported, and many of these are underreported or unreported. Uh, we can go on. on. Uh, you know, Norway, as I was mentioned before, their funeral homes are in fully, uh, full capacity, flooded with excess corpse. Uh, Norway is one of the most heavily vaccinated countries in the world, with the average Norwegian having received more than two COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, how about this one? This will make you feel good taking a flight. The FAA quietly indicates that U.S. pilots' hearts are damaged after taking vaccines. Very disturbing information about the health of American pilots, which flies us all around the world. After the vaccine rollout, the FAA secretly widened the EKG parameter range for pilots so they wouldn't be grounded. 
it looks like the vax gave at least 50 million Americans heart damage. So in October 2022, just this year, uh, the version of the FAA Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, the FAA quietly widened the EKG parameters beyond the normal range of 0.2. And they didn't, wide, they didn't widen it a little. They widened it a lot. And it was done after the vaccine rollout. I mean, this is pretty extraordinary. And they did it hoping nobody would notice. And it worked for a while. Nobody did notice until this guy came out with it, uh, Steve Kirsch who looked at the report and, and, and looked into it. Uh, and this is a tacit, a tacit admission from the U.S. government that COVID vaccine has damaged the hearts of our pilots. Not just a few pilots, a lot of pilots and a lot of damage. Now, of course, the cardiac damage isn't limited to pilots, you know, who took this vaccine, but, you know, they're, 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 um, they're flying us around. I tell you, a lot of people are going to be very upset when they realize that the vaccine they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked in reverse by making it more likely that people will get COVID, will be hospitalized from COVID and other diseases, die from COVID or heart attacks or blood clots or strokes. And you also have an excellent chance of getting a lifetime of heart damage. No extra charge. Well, but the vaccines were free. But don't worry, you can't sue them. They fixed the law so uh, nobody can be sued. Not doctors for recommending it, not drug companies, not the government. I mean, after all, you took the vaccine of your own free will. It wasn't like you were forced or coerced or anything. Uh, Is this why so many great athletes who are in incredibly great shape are suddenly dying around the world? Scary stuff, huh? Headline, oh, long-term Fox News executive dies after suffering a heart attack at 47. This was just the other day. Long-time Fox News executive Alan Komisaroff died on Friday. He was only 47 years old. He suffered a heart attack. Nowhere in here do they mention vaccine at all in that article. L.A. County Sheriff's deputy dies after suffering a medical emergency while driving. Los Angeles County Sheriff officials confirmed that a detective was killed in a car crash on his way home from work after suffering a medical emergency. 26-year veteran of the LASD. 45 years old or something like that. Uh, Chief Operating Officer of Twin Cities' largest law firm dies suddenly. Robert Hamilton, the chief operating officer of Fredericksburg and Byron, Minnesota's Twin Cities' largest law firm, died suddenly last week. A ruptured aortic aneurysm. Heart attack. Uh, oh, here's something I came across that is kind of interesting. You know that there's a new reporting system now that doctors use to report. You know, everything's electronic now. You have to, to get paid. For doctors to get paid by uh, insurance companies for any procedure, they have to put in these new ICD-10 codes, all right, to list what is your diagnosis. Now, there's 68,000 billing codes for medical issues, right? One of them now is a code for you not being vaccinated. The government's going to know through your own doctor whether or not you've been vaccinated. 
Oh, by the way, this is all part of Obamacare, not the vaccination part, but having to put all these codes in so the government knows. Uh, So doctors are being incentivized to snoop on you and give it to the government. Um, So now there is a um, there is a code for those. So if your doctor asks you your vaccine status, don't answer. Now, this is also available internationally. Remember uh, the World Health Forum, Health Organization? They were saying they want to have an international vaccine passport. This is how they'll know. The new code is Z28.310. This is the code for a very peculiar diagnosis. This is not a diagnosis at all, but an invasion of privacy and likely to be used against many people in the future. This is the code your doctor will log into the computer system that is accessed by government and private health insurers, informing them of your COVID COVID vaccine status. And these are internationally recognized codes. So your doctor uh, is being incentivized. Uh, They won't be reimbursed for Medicare, government insurance, uh, Medicaid, or private insurance providers. Uh, doctors uh, are incentivized to uh, put your vaccine status in there. I had no idea that doctors are being bought off this way. I mean, really. Very specific. A lot of weird codes in this system. You want to see some of these codes that are weird? Uh, W220.2XD. Walked into lamppost. <laughs> W61.33. Pecked by a chicken. W61.62XD, struck by a duck. Bitten by a pig. Struck by a turtle. How about R46.1? Bizarre personal appearance. That's a, that's a diagnostic code. How about Z63.1? Problems in a relationship with their in-laws. Is that a medical diagnosis? How about this one? V97.33XD, sucked into jet engine. That happened to a guy two weeks ago. Did you hear about that? In Alabama. Poor guy was sucked into a jet engine. So he's he his his code is uh, V97.33 XD. Uh how about 315.2? Fecal urgency. <laughs> I've had that code a few times, I think. How about this one? Maybe this one pertains to you, Paul. X52. Prolonged stay in a weightless environment. No, I don't think so. Uh how about this one? Heard at the library. Uh, how many people are getting? How about this one? Stabbed by crochet. Burn due to water skis on fire. <laughs> How does a water ski catch fire? How about this one? Pedestrian on foot, injured in collision with roller skater. These are all the codes that they have here. But that's funny. But this is not funny that your government, your doctor, knows about your vaccine status and doctors have to put it in on a special code and the whole world will know whether or not you took the jab or not. And they're still trying to sell it to us. They're still trying to push it to us. But it's brought to you by Pfizer and not this program, that's for sure. All right, thanks so much for joining us for our two-hour program. Remember the website, thefinancialphysician.com, where the podcast of the entire program is there. Don't miss a minute of this thing. Could call The Financial Physician. Love your emails, lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. My office number, if you want to make a tax appointment or want to come in for a financial review, 732 705-8100. 702-905-8100. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Don't go away.